No, the, um, the very end of the words that we so often recite for the Lord's Supper, the Apostle Paul tells his readers, the Corinthians, that they should examine themselves and be, be sure that they are worthy of receiving the elements of the Lord's Supper. So as we prepare today, we want to take a few moments to review. I'd like to do that using Isaiah chapter 5 as a, as a means of doing that. Father, we do pray that you would be, continue to be with us. As we prepare for this, uh, this time around your table, may you help us to take stock in who we are and who you would have us to be. May our hearts be open to what you have to say to us today. Father, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there was a, a Cherokee... Um, chief who was a grandfather and he came and sat down next to the fire to warm himself one evening and he noticed his grandson sitting there and he could he could tell that his grandson was in turmoil and so in the midst of the turmoil the grandfather waited to see if the grandson would say anything. And after a few moments, nothing was said. He finally said, you know, you know, in life, there is a battle that goes on inside of every one of us between two wolves. He said, one wolf is evil. It is filled with hatred, envy, greed, impatience, deception, despair, Fear and rage. The other wolf is good. It is filled with love, gratitude, generosity, peace, joy, honesty, patience, hope, and kindness. And he paused. And he waited. And after a little while, that grandson looked over at his father and their eyes locked onto each other. The grandson said, which one wins? The grandfather said, it's the one you feed the most. Integrity can be defined as an adherence to a moral or ethical set of principles. Soundness of moral character. Honesty. The question before us as we come to the Lord's table this morning is this. Are we people of integrity? Isaiah teaches us that we can live lives of integrity before a holy God and before a watching world by picking love over longing practicing humility over hedonism, producing kindness instead of a coup, 
practicing righteousness over rebellion and practicing piety instead of pride. We're going to look this morning at Isaiah chapter eight, uh, chapter 5, rather, verses 8, 11 to 13, and 18 to 23. The woe passages, if you will, in this text. We're to read these together. So if you are able, let me ask you to stand out of honor for God's word as we read these passages together. Isaiah chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room and you alone are left in the land. And skipping down to verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning in pursuit of beer, who linger into the evening inflamed by wine. At their feast they have lyre, harp, tambourine, flute, and wine. They do not perceive the Lord's actions, and they do not see the work of his hands. Therefore my people will go into exile because they lack knowledge. Her dignitaries are starving, and her masses are parched with thirst. Then skipping down to verse 18. Woe to those who drag iniquity with cords of deceit and pull sin along with cart ropes. To those who say, let him hurry up and do his work quickly so they can see it. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel take place so that we can know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who consider themselves wise and judge themselves clever. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and who are champions at pouring beer, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of justice. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. The word woe is used here as a way of judgment. It is judgment upon sin, but it's also a lament. It's a term of sorrow for what sin does to people. Woe is also the exact opposite, the polar opposite of the Beatitudes used in the Sermon on the Mount. We can focus on the evil, on the negative, on the sinful, but we are called upon to feed that which is holy and righteous and true, to to live with integrity before a holy God and before a watching world. We must cultivate in each of us that which brings us in line with the word of God. In other words, we must rebel against sin's rebellion. So notice what Isaiah says here, first in verse 8. We need to pick love over longing. God gave the land in Israel to the Israelites. He did that through Joshua. And it was to be a perpetual holding that was to be passed down from family to family. So to buy up houses until you're the only one who has 
land for as far as the eye can see was to go against the very understanding of God. It was to express greed and to not, every seven years that was to revert back. And to not do that was to go against the will of God. You know, today, we can get caught up into that whole idea of more is better. To have more is, is better than to have less. But we need to stop for a minute. And if we are in Christ, if we belong to Christ, is if Christ is our Lord and Savior, we need to thank God that he sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to die in our place and be raised again on the third day so that we could have the life that we have in him, the promise and hope of eternity. We need to, we need to thank God for the sunrise And for the sunset, for the air that we breathe, for the place that we live, for the food that is set on our table, we need to be thankful in all those simple ways for all that God does for us. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we need to pick love over longing, and we need to practice humility Instead of hedonism. Hedonism is just a fancy way of saying being focused on ourselves. You know, in Isaiah's day, it was a big deal to go out and have strong drink and get drunk. The people he's describing were party animals and they paid no attention to the Lord or anything else. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? How about this? When dessert is served, you choose the smallest piece of the pie. When the room is full, you get up and give your seat to someone else. Apologize when you make a mistake. Forgive people who do wrong to you. Do work that is below your pay grade. By the way, Laura, I will get those crumbs up. First Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. When we are filled with the Lord's Spirit, the Lord gives us an understanding of what he is doing, which is called the mind of Christ. And that is far and above anything and everything we could possibly experience from any other kind of stimulation. So we need to pick love over longing. We need to practice humility instead of hedonism. And we need to produce kindness instead of a coup. You know, a coup is taking over a legitimately placed government. You know, the Israelites were deliberately sinning. They were deliberately going against what they knew to be God's will. 
and God's work. And they were doing it in such a way as to bait God into doing something. Let's see what he'll do for this one. You ever do that with your parents? I've seen, I've seen uh, my friends do this. I, I, I was always too afraid to see what my mom would do particularly. But sometimes they just kind of bait or goad parents into doing something. Same here. They believed they, they could get away with it, that he wouldn't punish them. As J. Vernon McGee said, this is the picture of a nation giving itself and abandoned to sin without shame or conscience. You know, we should choose kindness instead. Compliment your husband or your wife, your children, your grandchildren. Pick up somebody else's dropped item and return it to them. Allow the, the car alongside you to merge in. Because kindness softens our hearts. Particularly toward others. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, but the, spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit, rather, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is... No law against such things. So we pick love over longing, practice humility instead of hedonism, produce kindness instead of a coup, and practice righteousness over rebellion. We see that in verses 20, 22, and 23. You've probably seen this quoted somewhere fairly recently. The people of God were literally turning God's good word and law upside down they're calling that which god called good is evil and that which god called is evil to be good again to quote j vernon mcgee again in an attempt to destroy god's standards of right and wrong by substituting man's values which contradict his moral standards as an example they glorified immorality and they treated committed believers as dangerous radicals. And that turns the truth on its head. They were glorifying things they knew God didn't want to have glorified. Warren Wiersbe says, Moral standards were destroyed by new definitions of sin, people using God's vocabulary but not his dictionary. So as Amos said in Amos 5, 7, You, Israel, turn justice into poison and throw righteousness on the ground. So how, as people of integrity, do we fight this? Well, let me share with you eight principles. We need to articulate the gospel clearly and consistently, just as Jesus did. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life, John 3, 16. We need to put on gentleness and compassion. There is enough hatred in this world now to go around for everybody. 
We need to practice gentleness and compassion. And we need to remember who the real enemy is, and that is Satan. We need to rightly apply the Scripture and everything, but in order to do that, we have to read it and study it. We need to know what our mission is, the Great Commission, and be willing to exercise it and to pay the price for doing it. We need to remember that God reigns over everything in every place, no matter what. We need to recognize the reality of human depravity, of just how far sin will take us. And that will help us to remember the wonder of God's grace. And our, our methods of living and loving need to be shaped by the message of the gospel. You see, we have one allegiance, and that is Jesus Christ. We have one kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God. We have one mission, and that is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. So for those of us who call on the name of Christ, we need to love Christ. We need to fall in love with him all over again. We need to use our influence to advance the gospel. We need to serve our local communities. And we need to live out our calling with Bible-shaped, Bible-soaked perspectives on the world and everything in it. So we need to pick love over longing, practice humility instead of hedonism, produce kindness instead of a coup, practice righteousness over rebellion, and practice piety instead of pride. Verse 21. This last area involves conceit. They thought they were wiser than the Lord. The one who gives us wisdom. You know, piety here means reverence for God. As opposed to being stuck on ourselves. So it's, it, it comes down to this. We need to, we need to brag on God. Bragging on God is, is called worship and witness. It's telling others what the Lord has done. It's waking up in the morning and thanking God for meeting our needs in Christ. For saving us from death, hell, and the grave. And for the good works he has prepared for us to do. As Jeremiah said, this is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. So let's boast in the Lord. So as we come to the end of this message this morning, the big question is this. Who is on the throne of the castle of your heart? You see there are two pictures of Buckingham Palace. On the left, you will notice there is no flag. But on the right, there is a flag. That flag is called the Royal Standard. Whenever the queen is in her palace, that royal standard flies. 
Whenever she's not there, there is no royal standard. Or they replace it with the flag of the British Empire, the Union Jack. So my question to you today is, whose flag flies over your castle, over your heart? Is it the Lord's? Or is it someone else's? Or is there no flag flying there at all? But you know, as we come this morning to receive the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about this. Jesus said his body was broken, his blood was shed so that we could have new life. And the only thing he asks of us is for us to trust him. So is Christ's flag flying over your, the castle of your heart this morning? You know, in order for that to happen, we have to get down off of the throne. We have to see ourselves as not being in control and allow Christ to be. That can be scary. But in order to allow Christ what he needs to live his life out in us, that's what needs to happen. I need to get off the throne of my heart. We all need to get off the throne of our own hearts and allow Christ to lead. That is what causes us to live with integrity. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask this morning that you would help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are the one in control of our lives. That we have done what is necessary in the turning from our sin, in the abdicating of our, the throne of our hearts, of, of stepping down and allowing Christ to step into that throne room and take his rightful place in our hearts. So help us, if we haven't done that to this point, help us to do that and help us to, to pray the prayer. For you to search us and to know our hearts. Try us and know our minds. See if there is any wicked way in, we, in, in, in us. And lead us in the righteous way. Prepare us now for the receiving of these elements. In Christ's name, amen.